So before I begin this very short message, knowing that we have children in here, and being not a parent these days, because mine are grown, I never get anxious, but I have five grandchildren in here, so I'm anxious, okay? Um, I, I want to share a little bit. We've, we've been in a rotation for a number of years now sharing the pulpit, and it's, I really think it's a, it's a good and holy thing. And so there's four of us that preach on a regular basis, although we also have uh, community voices at various times. And, um, and so um, in so doing, we have lots of times to prepare. And the reason I bring that up is because we have a lot of time to meditate on it. And oftentimes in our meditation, we make assumptions that you guys come to the church having read all the scriptures for the day and gotten your own insight and all I need to do or Mark or anybody preaching is just kind of, you know, tweak it a little bit. Well, that's not the case, especially on Easter. I want to share a few things before I have a prayer and, and then share my message. Um, so as I read the Colossians passage, one phrase just stuck out at me. It says, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's an amazing statement. So what I hear in that is somewhere my life is hidden in Christ, right? And then it reminded me a few weeks back, we read from Philippians, which just really grabbed me, and I just meditated on that. And it says this, that Paul says, this is after he has acknowledged that he's done all these righteous things under the law. He says, I can count them all as lost at the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, that I may be found in him. Isn't that amazing? And so I said, wait a minute, my life is hidden in Christ, and Paul's prayer is that he may be found in Christ. So those two things begin to just stir in my heart. And, and then later on in Philippians, he said that I may know the power of his resurrection. So I'm just kind of putting all this together. My life is hidden in Christ and his desire, and I know my desire is to be found in Christ, not found outside of Christ, not found away from Christ or disobedient, but I want to be found in Christ. Um, and that there's something about the power of the resurrection that makes those first two applicable. You guys follow me so far? This, was, this is my thought pattern. And then, then the gospel today, and, and I just want to say this, we pointed this out last week, all four Gospels um, kind of follow a similar theme, and they all have the passion of Christ with a little different nuances, as is any eyewitnesses are going to have different things they see, just like you'll see different things today. Um, parents will see nothing but the disobedience of their children, unfortunately. Um, but there's a lot more going on than that. Um, and same thing true with the resurrection. They all start, if you will, on the first day of the week with the faithful women come into the tomb. Hear that, men, faithful women. And they, every one of them, all four Gospels, when those faithful get to the tomb, what do they find? It's empty. Lots of different nuances. The one in Luke that I want to focus in on today was a statement. When the women got there, the question was asked of them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Now, in my little mind, I put all of those together. The power of his resurrection. Why am I seeking the living among the dead? I'm, I want to be found in Christ, and somehow my life is hidden with Christ. So in about the next seven minutes, I'm going to unpack that, okay? So let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful uh, for the joy and the majesty and the mystery of Easter. 
And Lord, your word calls us, and indeed our faith calls us to, to embrace this mystery, this truth that Christ has overcome death in the grave. And in so doing, Lord, our own lives are, are being found, are being revealed and empowered by the gift of the grace of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So each year, and I'm going to try to keep this where the, the children um, who are paying attention um, can understand, and those of you who are paying attention can understand, all right? Each year, the weeks leading up to Easter, we call that season Lent in our tradition, we're invited to follow Jesus uh, more intentionally, to live the way of Jesus more fully, uh, to carry and confront, into a, in specific to us, those things that make up our own cross, our own struggles, our own burdens, our own relationships, and all the things that are going on in your life. And individually, there's a lot. I mean, it, it's a lot to live our life, is it not? Individually, not to mention corporately. And so this is a call to go on a journey. And we use that language a lot. And I suspect that if I was to ask anybody here, you would want to do that journey more fully, wouldn't you? More faithfully. If I'm going to be on, I want to do it more faithfully. One way we, um, the fallible children, that word means imperfect. We're imperfect. Your parents are imperfect. Uh, your grandparents are imperfect. Um, your neighbors are imperfect. We, the fallible and perfect saints of God, the way we dive into this, this more intentional, more faithful journey, is to participate in the rhythms of the church. We believe that. Or why else do we gather? And we have certain rhythms, rhythms like prayer and fasting, uh, with rhythms like worship and acts of kindness and almsgiving and lots of others. And following those rhythms, um, they definitely help us do better, do they not? But this is what I know. Following Jesus, while it's not complicated, it's very hard to sustain. To sustain on our own, in other words, no matter how self-disciplined we might be, and I know I often fall short of this high bar that I set at various points along the way, be it Lent, be it I'm going to do better this year, whatever it is, um, I fall short. Somewhere in the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month of trying to do better and be better, my humanness takes over. Amen? And in so taking over, um, and I'm speaking for myself, I find myself at the cross, um, gazing at Jesus, my Lord and Savior. The perfect love of God poured out for us. Poured out not only for us, but for the world. Susan had one phrase she offered in her meditation on Good Friday. Once for all. Once for all, not just you and me, but for all. And I gaze at Jesus, his perfect love, and I realize, man, I just don't measure up. Um, we're a mess, are we not? I know I am. And the ones I know of you, you are. <laughs> and what is the song that we're prone to wonder? Lord, I need it. Susceptible to all kinds of pride and, and moodiness. Or even the more destructive things like resentment and hatred for others, um, even our own life circumstances. And I found this striving to be better can lead to a life that spirals downward, not upward. 
striving to do better in our own strength, we find ourselves spiraling downward. But the hope-filled truth is the way of Jesus was never to be meant to be lived alone in our own strength, no matter how wise and brilliant we might imagine ourselves to be. So, what is this hope-filled strength, this hope-filled truth? Or better yet, let me ask it this way. How often are our hearts and minds transformed so that the life of Christ in us is the power of resurrection? You know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, all have the resurrection account, as I said, and the common denomination, denominator of all is his ultimate death, right? Um, but is also his ultimate rising. You know, and so I said, in Luke's account, we have that question. And I'm going to just wrap it up with this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is alive. You know, there really is no question and answer that, can, that we can address that gets at it more than this. And, and I would just suggest whether you hear anything else I've said, wrestle with the resurrection. And if you can say, yes, Lord, I don't understand it, but I believe it, then I believe the power of that resurrection will begin to work in your life, empower you to do better, empower you to have a life that's found in Christ, a, a, a life that is in Christ, a life that's no longer hidden. It'll begin to be revealed. The Apostle Paul writing, uh, almost 30 years after the resurrection, he said, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that, anybody remember those words? That are above, not that are, that are here, dead. To put this with the gospel, if Jesus is alive, then why do we seek the living among the dead? And this is how I see that. To phrase it another way, when I simply know Jesus, as an amazing prophet and teacher, which he was, who, yes, lived and died, and who, yes, spoke truth into a violent world then, and still, in the words of Scripture, speak truth into a world today. Yes, he does. Um, truth about how to treat one another, how to care for the lonely and the hurting and the disadvantaged. Truth about kindness and mercy and generosity, all those things. But if this is all we're seeking, let me say this, guys. Christianity doesn't have a corner market on kindness and mercy. There's kindness and mercy in a lot of places. You can read books on it. There are other faiths that have kindness and mercy. What Jesus is, is he's alive. He overcame death. Not just good teaching. Yes, good teaching, but he's alive. In this way of just embarking his teachings, which do lead us in many good ways, then we miss completely what the women and then the others encountered when they found the tomb empty. So I just want to close with this. First, the women. Amazing. And I want to, I want to go to um, the gospel, but I want to read a few verses before that. Um, so Jesus had died. He was taken off off the cross, and in Luke's gospel, there was a guy named Joseph Arimathea um, that had an empty tomb, and 
they took him down, and they laid him in the tomb, and listen to this, the women who had come with him from Galilee. Did you pick up on that? The women who had been following him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and, and ointments. In the midst of their grief and sorrow, they remained faithful. They, they were following the faithfulness of preparing a body for burial. But it was the Sabbath the next day. Actually, it was the Passover. And so faithful as they were, they just rested. I mean, do you hear that, guys? With all that they had to do, they took the Sabbath and they rested. And in the midst of that, the next day, early in the morning, they got back out it. I mean, they got back at it and they went to the tomb to prepare. And I want to say this God meets us in our faithfulness. He does. When we're doing the right thing, no matter how grievous we might feel, God meets us there. And he met those women there. And I love this. The scripture then goes on and says, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, why do you seek the living among the dead? Then remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered. Because guess what? They listened. They had been followers who listened. And sure, the grief and the sorrow of that moment kind of blocked their mind, but all of a sudden, they listened. That's the power of the resurrection. The resurrected power brought them, if you will, the remembrance of all that Jesus said. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told them these things to told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, those who were listening, an idle tale, and they did not believe it. I can't remember, I think it was Barclay I read in one of my commentaries that the word idle tale there is, uh, if you got it, doctors here, it's something like when someone comes and they're just so overwhelmed with grief or so overwhelmed in, in maybe a fever that they're just babbling and, and you know that they're not making sense. And that doesn't mean you don't treat them, it just means you treat them, think, believe in what they're saying is not true. That was what the word there was. Now, I don't know, is that true, Mark? Who knows? It makes a great point, though, doesn't it? And so, but listen to this. And here's my second point. So that's the women. In the midst of their faithfulness, God meeting them. Remembering all that he had said, God met them. And then the scripture goes on, and this is just kind of unique to Luke. Um, in John's gospel, Luke and John run to the tomb. But here it says this. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe it. But... Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Peter. What, what was going on in Peter? What had been going on in Peter? Peter, um, I wrote this down. Peter um, loved Jesus like the women did. Peter followed him like the women did. But Peter often challenged Jesus in the way to go about things, did he not? Peter was self-assured. He was strong wanting to do things perhaps a better way. Um, Peter, 
was also weak. Yet his strength got in the way. He denied, and I can't help but imagine, I've never read this where it says this, but don't you know he had a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of trying to wait a minute. All my strength didn't work. What am I to do? But Peter ran to the tomb. And when he saw the linen cloth by themselves, he went home marveling at what happened. Godly play children, the King James says, wondering what happened. Wondering. And I believe that this is what was going on in Peter. That guilt and that shame began to break. And things began to shed. And the power of his resurrection began to work in his life. Don't you see that? I would say this, God meets us in our faithfulness and he meets us in our shame. He meets us in our guilt and all the points in between, our brokenness, our unfaithfulness, um, God meets us. And what the women in Peter and then the others and then all of us who have come afterwards have found is no dead prophet but a risen Lord. And in finding, we have begun to find ourselves. Amen.